Hi guys, how you doing? Um, just to reaffirm what Barry was saying about uh, communion. Do you know another word for communion is Eucharist? It's like a super posh word. Oh, you can sit down. Like you guys are doing great. Like if you keep standing, like that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? You'll all fall over. Um, so another name for communion, Eucharist. You know what Eucharist means? It's like a super posh word. Basically means good gift. We just received the good gr gift, the grace of our Lord Jesus. Come on. So that's just another word, another meaning. Incredible. Um, I love how you guys are dancing for worship. Get this. When you think of dancing, you think of this, don't you? Um, when I was five years old, my mum, oh, you're really laughing. Mate, you don't know where this is going. You know, like an average guy, you know, grows up. What do you think an average guy would do for like a hobby? Maybe some kind of sport, maybe football, something like that. My mum looks in the newspaper, sees an advert for football when I'm five, and she's like, oh, football. Other side of the newspaper, she's an advert for Irish dancing. Uh, if you're not familiar with Irish dancing, it's basically like river dance, Michael Flatley, where like you keep your hands down here the whole time. You move your feet super fast. So at five years old, my mum sends me off to that <laughs> instead of football. And like I was too stubborn to ever turn away. So I did that for 13 years. Wow. So no, no, no. You're, you're seeing this as like, oh, mate, no way. No way. No way. You think this is a praise point? This ain't no praise point. This is like... I need prayer for this. You know, every kid does dancing. There I am doing. Like, what even is that? So, like, the only, the only good news I've got is that by the grace of Lord Jesus, he still receives that as worship. And, mate, I am just so grateful because no one else receives it as worship. Like, my wife, yeah, like, I think the only reason we got married is she's never seen it. So, yeah. Thanks so much for having us today. Um, I'm from International Justice Mission. I've been on team for about four years. Um, and by the grace of God, we're the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. Just praise God about that. Groups of Christians across the world praying into it. But here's what breaks my heart. By the time we finish the service here today, over 100 young children will have been trafficked. That's not God's plan. That is not God's plan. So we're here to speak into that and speak words of hope, of restoration, of truth. And by the end of today, we're just going to be praying over this, praying for freedom. I've got a mate called Harry. This is a picture of Harry. He's pretty cool. Uh, he's a bit of a hipster. Uh, got, he's got a growing beard, which I'm really jealous of. I really wish I could grow his beard, but he doesn't do Irish dancing, so I've got something up on him. Um, and so Harry, like... Harry felt super convicted one day. He's a, I would probably compare Harry to a mixture of George Clooney and Chris Pratt, which is like a super big compliment. He's a great guy, but if you ever meet him, don't ever let him know that I told him you guys this because like his ego will just inflate massively. But Harry once heard about girls being trafficked, about modern day slavery, and Harry's heart was broken because what Harry saw in this world was suffering. He saw the suffering. Jesus was born into our mess, into our suffering. See suffering like this, and this, and this, and this. And his question is, well, where is God in our suffering? And here's the amazing thing. Is God is standing next to every single girl who is being trafficked. His heart is breaking for them more than our, ever, our hearts could ever break. But he is passing that on to us. 
And he is passing on his heart to us because as Barry said, he is calling us to be the answer, to be his hands and his feet on this earth. And so Harry heard this and Harry knew that he had to respond. And so Harry did something that very few people would ever do. He moved to Chennai. Chennai is a city bigger than London and it's in India. And so Harry packs up his bags. He's applied for a, an internship with us and he goes and joins the IJM team out in Chennai. Now in Chennai, we combat bonded labor slavery, which is basically people, generations of people forced into slavery in brick kilns, in rock factories, in plastic factories. And for 18 hours a day, your children, your grandparents, your adults, your babies will be moving bricks, will be breaking up rocks, will be forming plastic. That wasn't God's plan. And so Harry steps into the suffering of this world. And something pretty incredible happened. His day-to-day -day job wasn't that exciting, but one day a rescue operation happened. And this is what the team in Chennai lived for. They lived for this. They all gathered around, about 30, 40 of our staff, all prayerful Christians from India. They're there and they realize that they've got this rescue operation. They've got the information. They're working with the police. They know where slaves are being held in captivity and they're going to bring freedom. And so they go. They go to this brick kiln. And usually when we rescue people, there's maybe 20, maybe 30 people, which is amazing. Families brought into freedom. And Harry gets the privilege to go with this rescue operation. And the team goes in to arrest the slave masters, to rescue the victims. And Harry is standing next to this train. And a train is slightly optimistic. The train is the way that people are going to go into freedom. And like a train, it's pretty big. Don't know if you've ever taken the train into London at rush hour. You probably cram 100 people into a carriage. So like that's more than 20, 30 people, isn't it? So a train is going to fit, you know, everyone is going to be rescued, isn't it? And so Harry's standing next to this train. The doors of the brick kiln open. And 564 people walk into freedom. The nets weren't big enough. The train carriage wouldn't take everyone. And you could smell and you could see the dust and you could taste the freedom as people, generations, experienced freedom for the first time. That is the hands and feet of God on this earth. And so everyone gets onto this train. There's, there's a bit of disorientation, a bit of uncertainty. But Harry's there and he's walking down this train, seeing face after face after face of the malnourished, of the dehydrated, of the people who have slowly been dying. And then he sees the face of a three-year-old three -year girl on this train. She blows a raspberry at Harry. And Harry saw the hope. My favorite missionary says this, every great work of God is first impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it's done. There may be things in your life here today that feel insurmountable, that seem impossible. But as Barry said, Jesus is so much bigger. The church is called to be so much bigger. Because every great work of God is first impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it's done. Amen. So this is what IJM does. It brings hundreds, thousands into freedom, and then we restore people. But the thing is, this isn't anything new. Has anyone got their Bibles to hand? 
I would love you to turn to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. And I'm just going to read some verses from Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God's in the business of bringing freedom. And here's the truth. It's only freed people, free people. So in Exodus chapter 2, the chapter before, we have this situation. Moses grows up in privilege, but then he sees injustice for the first time. He sees an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite slave. And Moses' response is he senses the injustice. He sees how wrong it is. He sees people not treating other people humanely. And so Moses kills the slave master. That's not how it's meant to be. So Moses runs away and he spends literally 40 years getting married, becoming a shepherd, sitting on a rock and generally moving away from Egypt and the suffering of this world. And then Exodus 3 is this massive turning point because God is calling Moses to step back into the suffering and to bring freedom. This is the massive turning point. And so Moses has a stutter. He's a murderer. He's, he's a shepherd. He feels deeply incompetent. He's not like some superhero politician. He's not incredibly articulate. He's not sinless. He feels deeply inadequate. And God says, I will go with you. Because it's never been about Moses. It's been about God working through us. And it is by his power. So Moses is here feeling deeply intimidated. And he says, how can I rescue one million people from the greatest empire, Egypt, in the world? You want me to go to the Donald Trump of the day and say, set my people free. Moses says, 
I've got a stutter. I've got a speech impediment. I'm not the person you want to send to persuade the most powerful man in the world. And God says, I will go with you. Because it was never about Moses. And we know the rest of the story. Moses goes. But first, something happens in Exodus 4. Eventually, Moses is persuaded. Like, he pushes back. He's like, God, no, this, I'm not the right person. God, no, I haven't received your grace. I can't do this. Because God is, uh, Moses is struggling to get that it's not about him. But then in Exodus 4, God says something to help persuade Moses. He says this, what is in your hands? Moses is a shepherd. He's got a staff. He's put down the staff. And I don't know if you know this story, but later on in Exodus, this staff is used for miracles. Because you know what God's saying? He says, what you have, that's enough. I will use that. And I will see transformation in your community. I will see transformation through my church. And it will be enough. Because you know those five loaves and those two fishes? I can feed 5,000. You know that staff that you've laid down before me? With that, we will rescue a million people. So if you're thinking today that the injustice of this world is insurmountable, that slavery, that sex trafficking is so overwhelming, it's insurmountable. Just remember, every great work of God is first impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it's done. Amen. So this is this incredible narrative that we work through, but it's not just Exodus, because actually this is the start of God's love story with his people. So we run through the whole Old Testament. Ezra and Nehemiah, we talked about Ezra a moment ago. You have these narratives. You've got David. And there's a consistent theme that runs throughout all these prophets, these mouthpieces of God. Do you know what that is? Freedom. Because freed people free people. And God is constantly calling his people to be his mouthpieces that bring his people back into freedom. Ezra, Nehemiah, David. You have these people, Deborah. What you've got is these prophets called up to bring the Israelites into freedom, just like Moses did. Because God wants to bring freedom so we can worship him in the wilderness. And this all leads up to Jesus, because Jesus brings us freedom. Freedom from the slavery of sin. So what you've got here is the start of something that God has not stopped doing. He has not stopped saying, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to live in that freedom. And guess who's called to reflect that to other people? It's you. It is you. So this is what we do across the globe, is we feel deeply inadequate, but we look at the staff that is on the ground in front of us. We look at our five loaves and our two fishes, and we say, you know what? We've got to start somewhere. This is our work. But this goes even deeper than just slavery. Does anyone know Genesis 6? There's a passage in Genesis 6, which is Noah. And God gives one justification in flooding the earth. His one justification is this. The world was filled with violence. So here's the revelation. It's actually slavery and sex trafficking are both manifestations of violence. And God abhors violence. 
So this is the transformation. We want to see people set free from fear. But in other places across the world, we're not just working against sex trafficking and slavery. We're working to see people set free from the fear and the reality of violence. A lot of wonderful charities do an incredible job of serving the poor, trying to live out what the Bible wants us to do. And so what we see is this manifestation of providing people with food, education, and health care. But there's this story. There's a woman who walks to a well. She has to walk six miles to the well. On the way to the well, she gets raped. So this charity talks about how they've gone and they've built a well in her local community. They've made that water more accessible, and we celebrate that. And that is wonderful because we need to make sure everyone has access to clean drinking water, to education, to healthcare. But here's the problem. What about the rapist? Because the problem wasn't that the woman didn't have access to water. The problem is that the woman was violently assaulted. The problem was violence. And so in communities across the world, what we want to do is stop that violence. And it's super simple. It sounds like deeply intimidating, but every great work of God is impossible, then it's difficult, then it's done. The solution is on your phones. It's 999. Because actually, the majority of people out in our world who are causing violence don't do it because they're inherently evil. They do it because it's easy and because they can make money. So as soon as you stop making rape, sex trafficking, slavery, easy, then the whole situation inverses. But the problem is most of the world can't phone 999. UN claims that for four billion people live outside of the rule of law. So either the police don't help or the police are paid by the slave masters, by the sex traffickers. So this is the transformation that needs to happen is that we need to see justice. We need to see 999 accessible to everyone. And this is the solution. So Harry joined this team in Chennai. And in Chennai, the team makeup is a group of criminal investigators. In advance, they would go into these brick kilns, into these brothels, and they will collect this information. Then they'll take it back to the police, because that's phoning 999. And then when they've given this information to the police, they go and they rescue those 564 slaves. And then they get restored. But here's the crux. In Bolivia, the sex traffickers are more likely to slip in the shower and die than be convicted for their crimes. In India, a slave master is more likely to be struck by lightning than convicted for their crimes. So we need to make sure that they're convicted for what they've done. Because that's the justice, mercy and justice, consequences to actions. And as soon as you start working with the courts, with the lawyers, to see that transformation, the problem stops. We worked in the Philippines combating sex trafficking. Over four years of doing this, rescuing people, restoring them, but working with the justice system, working with the church to be those people stepping up. The Bill Gates Foundation thought we'd get a 20% reduction in sex trafficking. We got an 81% reduction. That is the church stepping up. But I want to show you what this looks like with a short video.
আমার নাম সাতনা যখন ছোট ছিলাম তখন আমার ভয় বলে কিছু ছিল না আমি যখন ছোট ছিলাম তখন গাছে উঠতাম মাছ ধরতাম তো তখন এইসব জিনিসে আমার কোনো ভয় থাকতো না মানে তখন কোনো ভয় লাগতো না যে কে বকবে কে মারবে আমার সঙ্গে যেটা হয়েছিল সেটা থেকে আমি খুব ভয় পেয়ে গেছিলাম আমার জীবনে কিছু হবে না আর আমার জীবনে কোনো দাম নেই আমি একটা মূল্যহীন মেয়ে হয়ে গেছি তখন এরকম হতো আগের থেকে আমি অনেক বেশি সাহসী হয়ে গেছি Sadna is sharing her story with other girls because freed people free people because there is hope there is restoration because there is going to come a day where slavery will end can i get an amen and that is tangible that is reachable so i want to say thank you to you because you are part of that solution we have an office in the dominican republic it's really new In the Dominican Republic, we're combating sex trafficking. I've got a friend who's gone out to help there. He's a criminal investigator, like he's a really hunky man. He's like, he did loads of years in the police force, then he worked in private security, and he turned to me and said, James, I want to stop serving the 0.1% of this world. I want to stop serving the richest in this world. I want to go rescue those girls. So he's given his year of his life to go and train up those teams, to raise up Christians in the Dominican Republic, to be those investigators, to rescue those girls. 
And so every day I phoned him two weeks ago. I can't tell you his name. Um, and I phoned him two weeks ago and he just said, James, every day I'm rescuing 11 year old girls from rape. That's what the church is called to do. Because freed people free people. So thank you. Because there is no way that the Dominican Republic office can work without you. Without you coming alongside us to say, actually, Jesus is all about freedom. So thank you. And this is my prayer and my hope, is that we're going to see an end to sex trafficking in the Dominican Republic. That we're going to see the church rise up across the country and see that transformation. There's one story I wanted to tell you from the Dominican Republic. We had this situation where we rescued a girl. She was 11 years old. She was in a brothel and she was serving about 20 men a day. Then one day our teams came in and were able to rescue her. Away from the smell of the drugs and the beer of that stench. And in her room where she had been kept, we found her cowering behind a little curtain. This is where Elizabeth was. And at first, our team was like, Elizabeth, we've come to rescue you. We've come to rescue you. But Elizabeth was there and her defense mechanisms were up and she was hiding behind this curtain. And then suddenly it clicked that Elizabeth was going to experience freedom for the first time. And then Elizabeth realized that she was walking into freedom. as She started that process of restoration that she knew where other girls were. So she told our team and they were able to rescue those girls as well. Because freed people, free people. We went back into Elizabeth's room and behind the curtain in the corner of her room, she had written something in chalk. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is never distant from the suffering of this world. He is in the suffering and he is calling us to be that freedom for others. So thank you because you are making that possible. Your prayers, your financial support, you are making that possible. Here's the thing. As I've said before with Exodus, this is nothing new. I'm going to tell you one last story. In 1785, there's a man called Thomas Clarkson. Thomas Clarkson is in no way related to Jeremy Clarkson, <laughs> which is a relief. Thomas Clarkson entered a Latin essay writing competition because in 1785, that's what all the cool kids do. Today, the cool kids do Irish dancing. Back then, Latin essay writing competition. Thomas Clarkson enters this competition and the title of the essay was this in 1785. Is it immoral to enslave the unwilling? Is it immoral to enslave the unwilling? Now here's the thing, 1785, slavery was a part of our culture. It wasn't just a part of our culture, it was the bedrock of our culture, and it was wrong. But society didn't see that. And so Thomas Clarkson does his research, he reads his Bible, he reads some books, and he comes to a revolutionary conclusion in 1785. Slavery was wrong. And so Thomas Clarkson does a great job of writing this Latin essay. He wins the competition, gets a gold star. Well done, Thomas Clarkson. But actually, something way more important happened. God planted a seed in his heart that actually slavery was wrong. 
And so Thomas Clarkson experienced this, realized this, but he just realized that slavery at the time was the biggest money-making thing in our world. So he was overwhelmed by the injustice, just like Harry, just like Moses. But here's the thing. Every great work of God is first impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it is done. So he did the two things that Thomas knew he could do. He prayed, and he prayed deeply because he knew that by God's strength, by God's power, everyone would be free. And then Thomas did the other thing he knew he could do. He started talking to other people. And it just so happened that two years later, after praying and after talking to other people, Thomas Clarkson sat down with a man called William Wilberforce. That's one story. At the same time, there's a man called Oliardo Equiano, freed from slavery, who wrote his biography and started to spread that across the UK. There's a woman called Hannah Moore who would have done the equivalent to their spoken word. She started putting together her literature and she started speaking these words that slavery was wrong. Do you know what all these people had in common? They loved Jesus. And so gradually the church started to rise up and there was a movement in our nation that meant that 30, 40 years later, the slave trade was abolished because Christians decided that's not what God wanted. And it all started with prayer, and it started with a very small response. And Thomas had simply asked himself the question, what was in my hands? So here's the thing. God is calling for that again today. God is calling for our church to rise up, to see an end to modern day slavery, to see an end to Elizabeth in that brothel, to Sandana in that brothel. He wants to see that freedom. Because he's done it before and he's going to do it again. And here's the vision. By making 999 phone calls work, by making sure that criminals are convicted, here's what we could do. We can make this the last generation of slaves ever. That is the vision. The last generation. Can you get on board with that? Can you be a part of that? Do you want to see freedom? It's not too big. Because every great work of God is first impossible, difficult, done. And here's the thing, is freed people, free people. And I'm saying it again and again and again, because that's you. So here's my two things. It's firstly, what is God saying to you? Because maybe you're not living in freedom. Maybe there is something in your life that seems impossible. But here's the thing. It's God wants you to live in that freedom. He is wanting you to receive his grace, to be seen through the lens of Jesus, to live in the freedom that he is offering to you with his outstretched arms. So what freedom do you need? But then secondly, how can we move into a place of offering freedom to others? How can we pick up our staff? And I would ask you that what we really need to do is pray for this. Because through a prayer movement across the UK, we will see an end to slavery. So I ask that you get behind us in prayer. We send updates out every week about people being rescued from slavery, about stories like Elizabeth's, like Sandana's, of Harry's story. Get involved. Pray for that freedom. 
Because by praying for freedom, we are calling upon a sovereign God. And then can you come alongside us financially? You guys have an incredible movement in here where you give five pounds a month and it goes to a few different ministries. And ending sex trafficking in Dominican Republic is one of those. So can you get involved with that? Because literally, you'll be freeing people. I can sense right now that some of you are like, yeah. But some of you might feel slightly burdened. The thing with that is that when God shares our heart with us, sometimes it breaks our heart. That's okay. But here's the challenge, is you have two options. You can feel guilty and you can do nothing. You can feel overwhelmed, you can freeze and you can stay. Or as Moses did, you can go. You can allow that passion. What God's heart is breaking is breaking your heart and you can allow that to move into action. So firstly, what do you need freedom from? And then secondly, come be the abolitionist movement with us. Oh, man.